Movies Entertainment presents Lovers in the Fog, a novel by Hamlet Sarkeesian. Read by David Cooley. Sound design and music editing by Christopher Harving. Sound mix by Charles Maines. Original score for the audiobook by Steve the Deacon Hunter. Additionally, musics by Osmotic, Beth Ann Kello, and Robert Preisman. Ladies and gentlemen, if there are any ghosts, angels, spirits, or any other mysterious creatures riding along with me in this car, listen carefully. I have something very important to tell you. I met a woman ten years ago. We had the most passionate love affair that you or I could imagine. Then, she disappeared. Just like that. Vanished from my life with no trace, no explanations. Why, I've always wondered. I hadn't heard from her in ten years except for two missives she sent me. Photos of herself from the days when we were together. There were no messages attached, just the photos. Why didn't she want me to see her the way she looked now? Why send me photos from those past? What had happened to her? I didn't have a clue. Then a week ago, out of the blue, I got a letter from her. Just a one-sentence note. She wanted to meet me in the same place, a little bed and breakfast in Montauk, old Martha's Inn, where we had tasted happiness together for the first time at the tip of Long Island. That was ten years ago. Ten years ago was in the last century. Dear and honorable ghosts, angels, and spirits, what do you make of that? Suddenly, out of nowhere, she reappears. Does that make any sense to you? Of course not. Say it. it sounds like a bad dream. Or tell me I'm a lunatic who has always lived in my own head. See me driving day and night up the eastern coast of the United States of America to meet her again? All because of a one-line note after ten years of silence. You must all be thinking that I should be confined to an asylum, right? Be honest with me. I get it. I've heard it before. I've got news for you. I still love her. Did I say that? Oh, God, I swear... I'm tempted to make a U-turn and go back home to my family. Maybe I will. It's so hot in this goddamn car. It's raining or I'd open all the windows. I'm speaking loudly, but I can't stand my own voice. I remembered a railroad crossing near Miami on my way to the I-95. The blinking red lights announced an approaching train. Suddenly, the window wipers bounced into action back and forth, cleaning frantically. I turned back and stared at my vacant back seat. Hocus pocus. Hallelujah. Which one of you did that? Man, you're one demented silent crowd, aren't you? Thanks anyway. 
My wipers could hardly keep up with the assault of the hard rain that's falling. Out of nowhere, penetrating through the rain and fog, a locomotive emerged, lumbering down the tracks, pulling scores of freight cars. I watched them pass and disappear, still contemplating the idea of a U-turn. I hesitated to move forward into the misty tunnel of fog shaped by the car's headlights. Idling the engine in the middle of the road, I kept staring at the blinking red lights at the crossing long after they had turned green. Maybe I would turn around. I was afraid, okay? Yes, I'm afraid. Say it again. I'm afraid to meet her again. I am. I'm not hiding it. She must be afraid too. But I have to admit she is one hell of a gutsy woman to initiate this. Why does she want to see me again? I'm so glad she does, but why? I've waited for her and fantasized about her for so long. What am I saying? I don't even know what the hell I'm feeling about her at this point. I just know that not knowing is hell on earth. So I kept driving northward toward our rendezvous. I made sure the car's fog lights are on. My lights barely penetrate the white fog. All I can see is whiteness in front and behind the vehicle. I've never liked the color white. It's always scared me. For many years, I wondered why angels, gods, and the rest of the creatures from Heaven, Inc. always appear in white. For some reason, no other colors are in fashion up there. Why couldn't gods sometimes dress up in red, or blue, or orange, for Christ's sake? Neither did I ever understand why all the saints, angels, and the rest of the flock so blindly follow his sense of fashion. My confusion persisted until I realized that the dead also come in white. Everyone from the underworld showed up in white, too. So eternal life and death come in white? Those two mortal enemies, the opposing forces of nature, are the same? A contradiction. It was confusing, to say the least. What a lack of imagination. So where did God come from? From below or from above? From above, I was told repeatedly and never questioned it. That is, until I started living that same contradiction in my daily life. God, are you up there now? Yep. How's the weather? Raining. God, do you know what love is? I'm the one who created it. Are you dressed in white now? Yep. God, are you upset now? Just be honest. Silence. God? Suddenly you're silent again? God, I asked you, are you upset now? Of course you are. Because you know what's going on in my heart, right? You don't approve of it. You think I should be with my wife and my child now. Instead, I'm on this godforsaken road driving through the fog, confessing my love for a woman I met ten years ago but can't forget. Chapter 2 This morning had been difficult. Despite the magical Floridian sunlight and the soothing sounds of ocean waves not far from our house in Key West, things were tense. Luke? Margaret's voice was jittery, full of worry and doubt. Her trademark firmness had been steadily eroding for some time now. I was staring into space, lost in thought. Are you feeling okay, honey? Yes, what time is it now? You have time. Aren't you going to eat anything? No, I should get going. Should I make a sandwich for you? I'll get something on the road. Julian, my seven-year-old son, displayed his empty plate to both of us. I'm finished. Good boy. Daddy, if we put two pieces of bread on the sun, they'll get toasted, right? Yep, I said. 
You can even call your new dish Organic Cosmic Toast. Hey, Mommy, I want Organic Cosmic Toast tomorrow. Give us a minute, honey. Mommy and Daddy have to talk now. I gathered up my things and put my coat on. I decided to make the journey by car, explaining I needed some solitary time to sort things out in my head. Ostensibly, I was going to Washington, D.C. to interview for an attorney opening at Aiken, Bailey & Johnson. I looked them up, said Margaret. It's a prestigious law firm. I haven't got the job yet. You will, Daddy, offered Julian. Of course you will, said Margaret. You're going to be a human rights lawyer again. I didn't respond. All three of us started walking towards the car. Don't forget, she added. We need to go to that book launch party for Nicholas. I hope I can make it. Luke, we should be there to support him after all you've been through together. I'll try to be back in time. Margaret stared helplessly into my empty hands. Where's your shaving kit? He forgot it again, said Julian, smiling. I'll get it for you, Daddy. Come here. I hugged Julian hard. Daddy, don't forget the choir concert next week, too. I won't. Love you, Daddy. Love you, too, my son. In the driveway, Margaret hugged me for a long time, despite the rain. I don't think she believed I was really driving all the way to New York for a job interview. Anything that came out of my mouth was suspect. I'm not sure if she knew where I was really going, but if she did, she was trying to hide it. She did a damn good job of being the courageous wife. Julian ran out of the house and handed me my shaving kit that I'd left in the bathroom. Thanks, Julian. Now both of you get out of the rain. Momentarily, I could see Margaret's lips and hands trembling. Julian, of course, didn't notice her fear. As always, she kept her torment to herself and pretended to smile. Take care of yourself, my love. She didn't want me to leave. Oh God, what am I doing? I don't even deserve her. What I'm doing is not fair to Margaret, but I have no choice, none whatsoever. I have to do this. Abruptly, I got into my car and drove away. Margaret was waving goodbye with tears rolling down her cheeks. Julian held his mother's hand. I looked at the two of them in my rearview mirror and could only imagine that exchange between my son and my wife. Mommy, why are you crying? asked Julian. Daddy's coming back soon. It's because I already miss him. God, you said you created love. Did you create this special love for me? Don't you feel some responsibility here? Are you watching over me? Are you only watching over people who wear white? I'm wearing blue today, so no one is watching over me, right? Look, do me one small favor. Give me a break with the goddamn rain, will you? Chapter 3 This bruised Panasonic voice recorder has been with me for the last 10 years, registering my disorderly stream of consciousness. She gave it to me. Because of her, I'm in the habit of recording myself all the time. Some might find it peculiar. Going back to the days when I was working for human rights groups, it's something I had to do all the time. Every lawyer uses a voice recorder now and then. Though I'm no longer working in human rights, I haven't been able to kick the habit. I record what I'm thinking and then listen back to my own rambling thoughts. It's as if there are two of us, my thoughts and me. It seems I need to hear my own words again just to understand what they meant when I thought them. 
Isn't it strange that the self inside talks to you in a whisper, so insecure and frail, so full of doubts? Quite the opposite of the loud, pompous self who's talking into this little machine, the guy who sounds so confident, educated, and therefore supposedly knowledgeable. Knowledgeable, my ass. That guy knows shit. I mean nothing, zilch. Let's get real. That guy speaks volubly, yes. But being voluble doesn't necessarily mean he knows what the hell he's talking about. He acts as if he does, though. That's the way of life, I suppose. I confess I hate his voice. I mean, I hate my own voice. She didn't. She was somehow in love with my voice. She had me sing lullabies to her. She wanted my voice to be her memory of the night. At the time, I thought it was silly. Now I see those lullabies were precious. I tried singing them to other women. Every single one of them laughed at me and made fun of me for doing it. Forty times I've been around the sun and this old earth. No matter where I've launched any of my forty circles from, I always end up a year later in the same exact spot. We always begin and end in the same place. It's as simple as that. Some of those years were more amusing than others. Some of them I don't remember. I might have been sleepwalking, hungover, or just plain emotionally numb. Maybe the sun wasn't hot enough. I couldn't feel its life-giving warmth. No wonder I feel so exhausted and somewhat baffled about my own cosmic experience still search for truth. Only during the last ten of those circles have I begun asking myself questions about the meaning of my own existence. Every time I discover an answer, it confused me even more. It was a lonely exercise. After each Q&A session with myself, the almighty awful loneliness crawled deeper inside my body, metastasizing in a brutal, more cynical fashion. Till one day, I realized there's no such thing as loneliness or solitude. You're never alone. You carry the world within you at all times, the world that you've created for yourself. I wasn't lonely anymore. I was never lonely again. I had been blind for a very long time. The whole world was riding along within me at this very moment. I discovered that the true secret of the not being alone syndrome is to confess to yourself. It's the most important thing to do, to become your own priest and your own sinner. When you become your own god and your own demon, or rather your own judge and your own prisoner, you'll never be alone again. Chapter 4 My fellow ghosts, angels, and invisible spectators, I know my car is hot, and you all want nothing more than a breath of fresh air. So do I. It's raining hard, and so the only Atlantic breeze is coming through the car's vent system, turning the brisk air warm. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Luke. Luke Forsyth. This morning I began my trip appropriately on route number one, known as the Overseas Highway, cruising northward in the fog and rain through the Florida Keys up toward Miami. It's a 113-mile stretch of mythical roadway with water stretching out on both sides. I had the strange feeling that I'd been driving there all my life, endlessly gliding above the ocean on those impressive concrete piers. First built in 1912, the Overseas Highway is a historical landmark. Today I made my own personal history there. At least, that had been the plan. 
except as I drove this morning, I was lost. When I say I was lost, I don't mean geographically. I mean emotionally lost. I never knew how to handle my emotions. They've ruled over my life for as long as I've been conscious of myself. And just when I thought I was supposedly mature enough to free myself from their tyranny, I was about to fall into another even bigger black hole. And I thought I was finally getting stronger. The reality is that I don't know anything about handling emotions or black holes. All I know is that I'm traveling up this foggy road to see her again. I've missed her so very, very much. The fog swallowed up all the traffic signs. Millions of gallons of mad raindrops were cascading down from the darkened sky without a break. Cars and trucks traveled cautiously. From late fall to early spring, fog can blanket this part of the world unexpectedly. Neon lights from a big ship off the coast glittered momentarily in the misty distance, then fell away as my black station wagon rolled on. When I passed Isla Murata, I glanced into my own rearview mirror and caught sight of a very tired man. Yes, I'd only started driving that morning. The night before, in anticipation of getting started, I couldn't sleep a wink. I flipped the mirror up so I couldn't see myself. When I look at my face these days, I was shocked to see the person looking back at me. I'd changed so much that I didn't even recognize myself anymore. I wondered why it was such a distressful sight. Is it because I have another image of myself in my head? A younger, more joyful version of me, like I used to be? Or is it because I'm getting older and in denial? Both are fairly immature, self-centered thoughts. Thoughts like those we usually ascribe to women of a certain age. At least I don't have to share those kinds of thoughts with the rest of the world. People could hear each other's private thoughts. We'd have unending wars between the sexes. But maybe we wouldn't be such hypocrites. And maybe we'd come to terms with our own deceitful natures and find some peace within ourselves. An eternal, deep, primordial peace that mankind has never ever experienced. Whatever the real reason may be, I no longer can look in the mirrors. Mirrors seem to be in conspiracy with time itself. They remind us that life has passed us by, that it's all temporary, that time cannot be stopped. Chapter 5 After Key Largo, the rain mellowed on the mainland. I had been on the I-95 a little while, but needed gas and a break. Out of the fog, the glowing silhouette of a Chevron gas station appeared like a phantom. I pulled in. The station's bright fluorescent lights radiated off the fog. Their whiteness was blinding. Inside the attendance booth, a middle-aged man in a work uniform was on the phone, apparently having an argument with the person on the other end. Suddenly he yelled something and slammed the phone down, smashing it into bits and pieces of broken plastic that fly all over the booth. I turned my eyes away and filled up my tank and then walked to the booth to pay and knocked gently on the window. Do you know how long this fog is going to last? How would I know? You probably live around here, I thought you'd know. It sticks around, sometimes for weeks. See, you do know. The attendant gestured as if he was in a hurry, that the place was as dead as the surface of the moon. We're not far from the ocean, so obviously we're going to get fog. You're not from around here, are you? Did I say something wrong? My wife just asked me for a divorce. How would that make you feel? Angry. 
disappointed. Exactly. Are you going to pay for the gas or not? Sure. I'm sorry about your wife. I handed the attendant some cash. We've been married for 27 years and now she wants to leave. She says she's fallen in love with someone else. We've got three grown-up children, for God's sakes. Matters of the heart are mysterious. Mysterious my ass, it's pure selfishness. She used me while she needed me. Now she doesn't need me anymore. She's found a younger lover. My family is all I had. What am I going to do now? This is shit. So fucked up I want to toss a match in this fucking place and blow it up. I was in the army, you know. Seeing him get more and more agitated, I tried to change the subject. Do you sell, uh, engine oil here? All kinds. Castrol 2050, please. I opened the hood while the attendant went inside the station and reappeared with a new can of oil in his hand. He looked me straight into my eyes. Are you married? Ten years now. You love your wife? Yes, I do. Me too. I still love my wife. That's what's so fucked up about it. But I'm such a shit. Never really appreciated her, and now she wants to leave me, suddenly I do appreciate her. Suddenly I'm afraid. I don't want to become one of those bitter old men who die in loneliness. Can't live without her. It's too late. Heh, <laughs> I just told you the truth. If I tell the truth to a total stranger, why can't I tell the truth to my own wife? Maybe I'm afraid of love. Does that make me a coward? Why was I afraid to show her my love? Why? I stared at the attendant with a vacant look, lost in my own thoughts. You know what hurts me the most? When she told me that she'd found new happiness with this young man. A happiness she never felt with me. When I heard that, it was like a knife went through my heart. Still painful, even now. Have a great day. The attendant turned and went back into his booth as if nothing unusual had happened. I stood still for a moment in reflection. The attendant opened his window and shouted out to me, You'll have fog all the way, but it'll get better after Fort Pierce. Then he shut the window again and started to clean up the pieces of the telephone he'd smashed. The fog was staying with me. I probably needed it.